0: Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Marty's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kciorg slash privacy piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning?
1: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy by design. And we've talked a little bit about that before, but we have a wonderful attorney consultant who's going to talk more about it. He's a techie, and his name is Robert Jason Kronk, with more than 15 years of experience in information technology and as a licensed attorney in Florida Jason is able to traverse the realms of business, law, and technology. In 2004, while working in the Information Security Department of Verizon, Jason decided to make his long-standing personal interest in information privacy a career choice. Then in 2006 he went to Florida State University School of Law where he got his law degree. He focused on research on privacy law issues which is an up and coming area of practice including authoring a white paper on the intersection of privacy and public records for the for Florida's First Amendment Amendment Foundation. After graduating with honors, he earned his CIPPUS, which is that Certified Information Privacy Professional, like I have. Um, and he was admitted to practice in Florida and has become a very active member of the Privacy Professional community. And he is and he's also involved in the International Association of Privacy Professionals. We've had several people on from that organization of which I'm a member. And he's been awarded the CIPP Technologist certification, and the CIPPM, which is the Certified Information Privacy Manager certification. And he's a fellow of information privacy. Um, These are all fellow of information privacy by the IAPP, which is that International Association of Privacy Professionals. And he blogs, and he writes, and he talks on, on things such as privacy and data security, privacy by design, privacy engineering, privacy enhancing technologies, digital currencies, and privacy and public records his twitter ha- handle is Privacy Maverick, and his blog can be found at privacymaverick.com and so thank you so much Jason for joining us this morning
0: thank you Marty, I'm excited to be here
1: yeah So, uh, you know, tell us about how you became such a techie, (laughs) first of all.
0: So I should probably update my bio. I think I'm over 20 years now instead of 15 years. (laughs) I think that's uh, that's a bit dated. But, uh, yeah, I can remember back, I mean, when I was in high school and college, uh, I mean, I got an undergraduate degree in mathematics with a minor in information systems management. So I've always been a computer science, uh, math geek, so to speak, and had a long-standing personal interest in privacy. Uh, and that, it, it was interesting back when I originally got out of college, I was a web developer, you know, back in the 90s, when that was kind of a, a, an original thing. And I can remember thinking about how how to do, uh, you know, securing websites back then, and, and it certainly was not the norm. Uh, so it's been a longstanding interest, and I've just accelerated that interest into more of a professional career over the over the past 20 years.
1: That is great. I know because a lot of attorneys who are privacy professionals don't have that technology background or the security background. So it, it's, um, it's great that you've been able to bridge that gap. So I see that you wrote a white paper on the intersection of privacy and public records for the First Amendment Foundation. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an overview on that? That's like a, an interesting field, too
0: yeah so it was it, it certainly was interesting to delve into that back when I was in law school, uh, which uh, wasn't too long ago back in two thousand uh, I think seven I wrote that or two thousand eight and certainly the First Amendment Foundation had a big interest in uh, in open public records and Florida has a, a history of a very uh, a very uh, being a, a sunshine state uh, and having uh, open records laws. And I remember having a discussion with the president of the First Amendment Foundation back then about, I think it was, I can't remember, it was the NASCAR driver who was killed in a uh, car accident. And he uh, his family didn't want the autopsy photos released, and, and she was very uh, adamant about how Uh, how at at death he lost any privacy interest. Mm -hmm. And so I I wrote this white paper. Uh, I'm not sure that that they necessarily uh, agreed with it to all aspects, uh, but certainly in that case I I at least made the argument that, you know, privacy is our internal decision on how we want to interface with society. Uh, And in that case, there certainly – our interest of uh, the NASCAR driver that he may not want those autopsy photos uh, exposed. Now what we have to do, and this this is interesting because what we have to do, both as a society and, and in commercial aspects, is kind of balance interest. And you see that with the new uh, GDPR in Europe. It's the balancing of those kind of individual interests against societal interest. Right. A- and, you know, that's where the law comes in to try to figure out where, you know, where that balance is, and, you know, does society have an interest in seeing autopsy photos and making sure uh, that, you know, people know how, you know, somebody somebody died and that there wasn't any cover-up or something, uh, versus the individual interest in not being exposed in that kind of manner.
1: And I would think because he was kind of a public figure being a celebrity, that that's why they felt that they should be, it was, you know, in the public interest to see it because he was a public figure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know we had a case. It was very tragic out here where a young woman, she was only 18. She had a terrible, terrible accident on the tollway and was decapitated. And, um, the Highway Patrol took pictures, and then they put it up on the on the Internet. Anyway, long story short, the parents sued, and they sued for invasion of privacy and emotional infliction of emotional distress and all sorts of stuff against the Highway Patrol, and they won as a privacy invasion. It wasn't a pri- privacy invasion, and again, I, she wasn't a public figure, so that also didn't come into anything in terms of her invasion yeah. of privacy.
0: And, and I think with the, the NASCAR example, one of the, the countervailing uh, factors was, you know, the safety of NASCAR and whether his his accident or death could have been avoided, right. uh, but, you know, was it a result of not having proper uh, helmet care. So, again, you have those, uh, those uh, overriding potential societal benefits versus the individual interest, which is always... Uh, you know, that balancing act, and, right. and the case you mentioned, which I, I do remember, you know, as you stated, you know, she was a, a private figure, and what benefit would society get uh, by by having access to those photos, probably de minimis.
1: Right, right. So let's kind of switch to privacy by design, and... Um, you know, <laughs> I'm a, I'm an ambassador to Canada in Privacy by Design, so you probably get a kick out of that because that was really uh, Anne Kuvikian, who was Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada, created that concept of Privacy by Design, basically, and, um, and so she took a bunch of us and made us into Privacy by Design ambassadors. So let's talk a little bit about... What is privacy by design?
0: Well, as one fellow ambassador to another, because <laughs> I was also <laughs> achieved that designation. Uh, yeah, so, so Anne created that, uh, that concept back 20 years ago and has been championing it ever since. Uh, now she has the seven foundational principles of privacy by design right. be proactive, not remedial, privacy by default. Uh, privacy embedded into design, positive sum, not zero sum, life cycle protection, visibility and transparency, and respect for users. And I think a, a lot of these, a, a lot of companies can easily kind of get get around. I mean, obviously, if you're thinking about privacy up front, you're being proactive, not remedial. If you're, if you're thinking about security, that's where life cycle protection comes in. You know, if you're notifying people, you, you know, you're having proper notice, and you know, we can debate whether or not the, the legal privacy policies on most websites are proper notice or not, but at least you're being visible, visible and transparent. The, the two I like to focus on a lot are respect for users, uh, which has as much to do about corporate ethics uh, and whether or not you have a respect for your customers or the consumers. Uh, and then the one which really gets into the, the technical nitty-gritty is privacy embedded into the design. Uh, and that's where I kind of focus. Even though I say I do privacy by design, really what I'm talking about in a lot of cases is that embedding privacy into your design uh, as opposed to what happens a lot is people coming after the fact and saying, "Oh, here's the design. Let's slap on some encryption. Let's slap on this after you've actually built the system."
1: Right, right. And and you know, I like to liken that to where if you build um, a house in California and you don't add air conditioning <laughs> <laughs> when you're designing it and you have to do it afterwards you have to tear apart walls and you make a mess and it just doesn't ever work right so right. um it's just like whatever you, right when when you embed something into it into the design then it's going to work better it's going to be smoother it's going to be part of the the holistic approach to it right
0: right it, it cheaper uh, for yeah. one and, and then to your to your point it's going to be uh, much uh, much better a much better integrated experience right so, I, I'll, I'll give it let me give a quick example and this actually goes kind of back to the privacy by default uh, and I often like to use the analogy of an iron and used to back I don't know how, how long ago it was been but you know 20 years ago plus uh, when you bought an iron, you were at risk if you, if you left it on your on your clothes of not only burning your clothes but potentially burning your house down. Right. So now, iron, now irons are embedded with a safety feature, an auto shut off feature. That generally, if you leave it in uh, a, a position where it could catch something on fire, it will shut off after like 15 or 30 seconds. And again, this isn't the consumer. You're not giving the consumer a choice. And it's not something after the fact. It's not a cage that they put around it or or some way of holding it. Uh, It's embedded into the iron in such a way that, you know, you're protecting the safety of the individual, uh, you know.
1: Yeah. So when, you know, we have a lot of uh, startups here in Orange County. It's like a little mini Silicon Valley in in certain areas of Orange County, California. So... um, is it really achievable? I mean, is this something that's achievable for all these startups when they're going into crowdfunding and trying to get money? I mean, how achievable is it?
0: Well, so it's it's definitely a challenge, and I think the biggest challenge is mindset. I can't tell you how many startups I talk to that just that they're not of the of a, of a mindset of thinking about privacy, and I think. A lot of it has to do with, with the, the culture they grew up in and they just weren't in a situation where privacy was important to them. And, and I'll give you an example. I was, at a, I was giving a speech at a Python developers meetup group and yeah. everybody was thankful and you know, they enjoyed the speech about privacy and privacy by design. I had one woman come up to me ap- afterwards and she was just absolutely ecstatic because she had been the victim of a stalker. And she had to go through and sanitize all her social media accounts and sanitize her use of technology because they weren't built to protect her privacy. And so she was really excited about the concept of building this stuff in from the get-go as opposed to, having, to de- having the consumer and the individual have to deal with the ramifications afterwards. And so trying to get people to empathize and think about that, I mean, I think you are seeing quite a few startups that are concerned about privacy, uh, but unfortunately it is difficult for the vast majority, and, and it's, it's, it's an education aspect. And this goes back to what I was saying about respect for, for users, And recently in the news, uh, there was a company, I mean, that that has not only had many privacy faux pas, but was recently in the news because uh, of some uh, sexual harassment issues, and unfortunately, that culture of that company, and I, I say it's a startup, but it's a you know, huge, multi-million dollar startup at this point, uh, their culture just doesn't, doesn't facilitate being respectful of individuals, whether they're employees or, uh, or customers, uh, and so you're really going to have a, have a challenge to, to overcome that, uh, as, as a baseline, and then once you once you can get people to start thinking ethically and responsibly, then you can start training them how to actually uh, build privacy into their products.
1: And doesn't it really, Jason, have to come down from the CEO and from the C-suite? Don't they have to value privacy, and don't they have to value respect for their customers and their employees? I mean, if, if the CEO doesn't care about it, then who else is going to care about it, right?
0: Absolutely. And, and, and not only that, but if the, if the lower echelons of the company, even if they do care, they may not have the ability to get things done. Uh, and I, I liken it to, at least for larger companies, I, I often go in with the conversation of, you've got to have a Bill Gates Internet moment. You've got to have the CEO say, we are going to become an Internet company. And, and you know, for whether it's privacy or security, you've got to have those top-level executives come in and say, we are going to be respectful of privacy and we are going to drive security into this organization. Because otherwise, the, the people, uh, you know, on the lower rungs of the ladder, they can't drive it up. It's got to be driven from the top down
1: right and so you know there's the the incentive like value added and then there's also that that stick you know of okay if you don't do this the federal trade commission may come after you or you may get sued or something if you aren't keeping up with this the, with the standard The appropriate standards regarding privacy, right? So it's not just, well, we're going to look good, although that helps your reputation. But I think it also goes to value added and making you, you know, bringing that out as really a marketing tool, we protect your privacy, right?
0: Right. I mean, look at Apple. Uh, they have taken, you know, the CEO has taken a hard stand and said, we are going to build a company that's not built on selling and monetizing your data. Right. Uh, and and yeah, I'm not saying that certainly it isn't that that necessarily drove them. They have a lot of other things going uh, for them uh, in terms of, of design. Uh, but, uh, you know, that has certainly earned them kudos uh, from from the marketplace uh, in taking that stand, Where everybody everybody uses Google, but they love to hate them. You know everybody uses Microsoft, <laughs> but they still complain about Microsoft products. And, and so it's, it's, you know it's not because your your customers love you, it's because you, at this point you're the only choice. Well, guess what? When somebody comes up, uh, and it's offering an opportunity. And actually, that's an interesting point because uh, studies have shown while people won't necessarily pay for privacy, uh, they won't pay an additional fee, b- when given the opportunity to choose between two different providers, uh, one which is more respectful and, and, uh, of privacy and more trustworthy versus another, they will gravitate to the one that is uh, more respectful.
1: That's great. So let's talk about the difference between privacy by design and a privacy impact assessment. So you're going to have to kind of explain what that privacy impact assessment
0: is. Right. So, so a lot of companies do privacy impact assessments and are generally uh, a series of questions primarily driven by compliance with the law. Right. Uh, so the, the general counsel or the counsel's office will come in and say, okay, you're doing X, you know, give me a privacy assessment. What are the privacy risks? What are you doing to mitigate the risk? But the problem I found with privacy impact systems, and they have their place, don't don't get me wrong, is they're they're mostly ex post facto so you've already got your design laid out and now you're trying to impact what the assessment of uh, uh, excuse me impact what the the privacy issues are and then potentially saying you know well let's throw in some additional controls you're not encrypting data let's start encrypting data at rest but again going back to the conversation we had you know earlier you're not designing for privacy you're not building that in and and so you're limiting your opportunities to protect privacy, you're you're making it more costly to do it, and it's not as integrated a solution.
1: Right. When I think about all these governmental agencies, though, that have been around a long time and that weren't thinking about privacy, um, when they are required to do a privacy impact statement, then they're learning where the big holes are, right? So, I mean, it's better than just saying, putting it under the grug, right? Right. (laughs) I mean, they could recreate everything and start it. But I mean, I'm with you on privacy by design. But I'm just thinking some of these uh, companies that have been around a long time and some of these um, governmental agencies that are trying to catch up to speed with that, that they can at least analyze where they are, Right
0: right so uh, absolutely they have their place in the market when you already have an existing solution and you need to impact the privacy and then impact <laughs> when you need to identify the impact of privacy on that and then you, you you can come up with mitigations and you can have as you stated you know a a, a potential go forward plan for when you're when you're making changes you know that's Absolutely necessary, agreed.
1: Right, yeah.
0: That shouldn't that shouldn't forego the usefulness of, hey, we're going to do X, or we're going to create a new product a new service to go and build it and then do the privacy impact assessment right. afterwards. That's just <laughs> right. not the, the, the best way.
1: Right, you need to have both. So let's right. talk about the process because we have a lot of companies that are – Driving by, and we have we're sitting on the campus. Um, you know, we have graduate school here. Um, so, what is the process you go through in privacy by design yes. to design it?
0: So, I, I've created what I think is a very simple process because a lot of people, when they look at and uh, seven principles, they're like, okay, this is great, but it's too high level. I don't know actually what to do. What do I sit down and, you know, how do I sit down to a, with a piece of paper and actually design for privacy? So I call it the five I's, and not to be confused with the International Spying Consortium <laughs> of the same name. Uh, but so, so first, uh, identify your use case. And we're talking about it at a very high-level use case. So not don't give me a product and a solution and how you're actually building it. Just tell me what you're doing. Are you coming up with a a new point-of-sale system? Are you coming up with a new game app? Again, just give me a very high-level use case. Then identify the individual that you're trying to protect. And this isn't always obvious. Uh, You you have to look at everybody who might be touched by the system. And and I give the example of Pokemon Go. Everyone was concerned about Pokemon Go and the data it was collecting on users. Well, one of the privacy impacts was that Pokemon Go used churches for gems, Mm -hmm. and some of those churches that they had identified were actually owned by individuals as their house so, game players would show up at all hours of the day and night, right. trying to trying to uh, train their characters at people's houses uh, that mm. were previously churches. So again, so there's lots of individuals that could be affected. Then identify the invader uh, who is performing the privacy invasion. So a lot of companies, they focus on hackers. You know, What can a nefarious person, maybe it's an internal person as well, an employee, right. but what, can, what could they do to invade somebody's privacy? You have to also look at the actual company as a potential invader. If they're using data for a secondary use that wasn't what the person consented to, that's an invasion. So again, so there's all sorts of different invaders that you can look at. Next, identify the invasions. Now, I, I, I don't use the term harms because that's a very Americanized view. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people in the U.S. think of, well, what's the harm of doing this? And you run into that situation where you have people who you know, haven't been in a situation where, th- where they've been harmed and so they can't, they can't see that harm. If you take a, a, a European view, the mere fact that you're doing something to somebody's data that's the invasion. It may not necessarily, there may not be any subsequent harm, but actually just doing something, uh, you know, could they look at it as, as privacy as the fundamental right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so, so in doing that, I look at uh, Dan Solov's taxonomy of privacy invasions, and he's got a nice uh, breakdown there. And then, so next, then intercede. So using uh, strategies and tactics, what can we actually do? What are, what are the controls we can put in place? And again, not you know we may say encrypt data. we don't know what data or where it is because we're looking at a very high level use case. But we can at least list out what are the controls we can use, and then finally implement. And this is doing that balancing act and saying, okay, what what is the issue for the individual, and what are the benefits, you know, of this? So so maybe there's there's societal benefits benefits to the company. And you you can use whatever, I mean, there are different balancing tests you can use. You can use the one uh, in uh, the General Data Protection Regulation, which is common now because it's uh, coming about. But you want to do some kind of balancing test. What are the costs to implement this versus the risk? And, you know, I, I also make the, the point of telling people, maybe you have a one-in-a-million chance that, that something is going to happen, but what if that one-in-a-million chance ends up with somebody... Cr- Committing suicide as a result, right. or uh, you know, so so you have to think of. And and I was talking to some people at Google, and we were talking about a a change uh, that they were making or they were contemplating to Gmail. And yes, so maybe they only had a one in a million chance that this might end up in somebody's divorce or again committing suicide. Well, if you've got a hundred million or five hundred million users of a system, guess what? A one in a million chance uh, that means a few hundred people is going to Right. Affect.
1: Right. Good point. Wow. So we we have about two minutes left. That was really a great explanation. I like your five eyes. So, um, why don't you just tell us? Um, uh, you know, are companies actually practicing this privacy by design? Are they actually doing it now?
0: I think I think we're seeing it more and more. Uh, obviously, companies are. Uh, still struggling with uh, with trying to figure it, figure it out. I think a lot of companies that I talk to who think they do or are doing privacy design are kind of doing a more high level. Yes, we're kind of thinking about these things up front, but they don't have a systematic process in place that they can train their engineers and their product managers on thinking about it. That's what I'm trying to get a, get across with my five eyes. Um, so I, I think as we get closer with GDPR, uh, we're going to see more and more companies uh, implementing this. But right now, it is it is only those that have, uh, like, like we were talking about before, top-level support or yes. interest.
1: Yeah. Well, we are just out of time, so please give your website, and it's time to go.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mari. I've, been, I've enjoyed talking here. Yes. Uh, my website is uh, interprivacy.com. Uh, at least that's my consulting firm, InterPrivacy. And then my personal website for privacy is Privacy Maverick. And, of course, people can find me on Twitter at privacymaverick.
1: Maverick. Wonderful. Well, you keep up the great work, and we are going to have you back again, okay? Stay private.
0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.